Today on Quest, singer-songwriter Natalie Dean. Life is a quest for logic and reason. It is a quest to find balance between science and faith. Life is a quest for knowledge and understanding. But most importantly, it's a quest for personal discovery. Whatever your quest, knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. Welcome to Quest. Hello everyone, I'm your host, Todd Fisher, and this is Quest. For those of you that might be new listeners, let me tell you a little about me. I'm the founder of Metatomics and the author of the best-selling book, Metatomics, The Grand Design. I'm a philosopher, a theorist, a metaphysicist. I'm a perpetual pupil of theology, and I'm an expert in comparative religious study. I've also extensively researched the mind-body connection anatomy, and physiology. I documented over 300 case studies while researching my book, all from a scientific perspective, with cases that ranged from near-death and out-of-body experiences to possession to past-life experiences, as well as the metaphysical, the paranormal, and other unexplained cases of a spiritual nature. This podcast will bring you some of those astonishing stories, and in some cases by the people that actually lived them. From time to time, I'll be talking about important, perhaps even controversial issues from both spiritual and scientific points of view. The world we live in is ever-changing, and there's often a conflict between spirituality and science, and I wanted to bring you this podcast to balance that equation. It will show you how we know what we know, and there's still so much we don't know. For me, Curiosity is part of what makes us human. It's the joy of discovery. It's what drives us. It's our quest. Today on Quest, I have an interesting young 18-year-old singer-songwriter, Natalie Dean, who has a single out, which is doing really well, getting a lot of traction. It was really a wonderful interview. I think you'll enjoy it. Here it is. Hi, Natalie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So this is exciting to have you on the show. There's a lot of buzz around your latest single right now, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, it's crazy. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't expect any of it. So it's very heartwarming to see all the love and connect with people right now through such a vulnerable song. So it's, it's very touching. Damaged Parts is your current single, and it's and I think it's fantastic. And so Thank tell you. me, and because you're new to this, you're 18 years old, like you're really just <laughs> getting into the into the music business. So how many songs have you put out so far? I've only put out three. So Damaged Parts is my third. Um, I've spent the past two years though in and out of the studio recording and tracking so many demos, but. I mean, I'm such a perfectionist. I never feel like a song's really done. Um, So I'm definitely trying to work on that and get more comfortable just releasing music. So Mm -hmm. this new year, I'm going to, I'm hoping to release quite a few new songs and hopefully an EP. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I thought (laughs) you mentioned you were working on an EP. So that's, that is exciting. Yeah, I am. I'm, 
in the studio pretty much every day um, tracking and working out new songs and figuring out kind of a new sound. Um, I just hooked up with a really cool producer. His name is Troy Lucetta Jr. And our engineer, Andy Martin, is amazing and they're local. So it's super easy to, you know, just get together and just work things out super casually. Um, and I feel like that's when the best music is made when you're just kind of all in a room collaborating. So Right, right. How do you describe your musical style? Oh gosh. See, I'm I'm a super I feel like I'm 30 years old trapped in an 18-year-old body. So I wish I could go back to 80s, 70s rock and roll and totally embody that. I mean, I grew up on Billy Joel and Elton John and those those are my guys. Um, but I am kind of gearing towards indie pop, um, singer-songwriter type music right now just because that's what I write most naturally. Sure. Um, so, I mean... I love Julia Michaels, if you know of her. Um, Noah Cyrus, who just kind of is really getting out into the music scene again after everyone knows about Miley, but Noah's now blossoming into this amazing right. artist and it's so inspiring to watch. So I really love their sound and that's kind of what I'm going for. Do you write all your own songs, right? I do, yeah. What instruments do you play? You're also a musician. Yes. Yeah, so right now I just play the piano and keys. So that's my main instrument other than vocals. But I mean, I'd love to learn them all. It's just, I'm such a type A focus on one thing type person. So um, it's definitely been all about piano for the past couple of years. So what is your writing process? Are you, do, are you usually, you know, playing on the piano and thinking about, you know, the melody? Are you thinking about the lyrics? Like, what goes into this? Give me the, oh give me the, <laughs> give me the concept of creation. Where, what inspires your songs? Like, is it, is it events in your life? Is it just, you, do you just write catchy hook? Do you, like, what, what, how does it all come together? So when I'm writing a song, honestly, it's all different. I never really start with the intention of writing a catchy hook, um, which I know is what I probably should be doing being a pop artist. Um, but my writing really comes from personal experience. And, you know, if I'm feeling something or if I'm sad, if I'm overjoyed, if I'm just kind of not understanding life at the moment I have to write a song about it um so usually I'll just sit down at my keyboard and I'll have a thought or kind of a direction that I want to go in it's not always the melody first usually it is the words first um I do believe that the message in a song is most important um sure top 40 radio would definitely argue with that but um I do think that it's a songwriter's job to tell a story and focus on that rather than writing the best melody of all time. But of course that's important too. So, right. you know, it's all a, it's all a balance, but yeah, it's just kind of always me and my keyboard and 
hashing that out in my bedroom. <laughs> well, tell me about Damaged Parts. You said that's a really personal song to you. Can you, can you talk about what that's about? Totally. So that song is a pretty raw song. Um, it's about my relationship with my dad. He has struggled with alcohol abuse and it's kind of me looking back on my childhood and understanding both sides of that story. Um, growing up in a house of, you know, mental illness, it's hard to see the world through a glass half full type of view all the time because you're kind sure. of stuck in this dark space. So um, it's kind of me bringing that to light and just sharing that side of myself with people because I do think that as a as an artist you should be super open with your listeners and give them something to connect to and I think that our darkest stories are what bring us together. That's true that's true yeah I'm a writer myself and, and most of the time I write long form I'll write books or screenplays things like that and um, and when I found myself writing music when I was particularly lyrics they're usually super personal things where mm -hmm. a screenplay might involve people I've met through the years. There might be kind of versions of people I've known throughout my life that are in them. It's never really any kind of biographical thing, but a song is always something deeply personal. It's short mm -hmm. and it's all kind of concentrated into that, whether it's the music or it's the lyrics, it's usually something that has been very personal to me. Although I never really, went into music. I did, I did like to write lyrics. I did like to do things like that. And, and that was kind of how my approach to it. I'm wondering how, so how young were you when you started getting into music? Oh gosh. I mean, I started singing right when I was old enough to understand the words of, you know, Disney movies. Um, so I've been singing all my life, but I really started when I was probably 11 um, my mom put me in voice lessons and that was kind of my therapy. Um, my parents were going through a divorce at that time and she's like, okay, listen, you're either going to go talk to a therapist or I'm putting you in voice lessons. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, I was a super quiet, awkward kid. So that was a big step for me, but honestly, the best push of tough love I've ever had. So that's you told when it me. started. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's great. That's great. And that's interesting that you kind of, in a way, sort of got music therapy. Totally. I mean, which it is a still thing. is. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a thing. It really is. You told me kind of in our pre-interview, you said that I asked you if you grew up spiritual or religious, because that's, you know, part of my show is, yeah. is whether people have any kind of um, religion in their life or spirituality. And you told me that your spirituality is in your music. Tell me what yeah. that means. So I didn't grow up in a house of worship we didn't go to church um our life was so dysfunctional that that just kind of wasn't in our cards at the time um so music was something that i could really do on my own and i i knew it i was comfortable with it um and it became this outlet that really just embraced me when i couldn't handle the weight of the world um so I really found that comfort and what everyone feels in church and worship. I felt that through music. So like, I mean, so many songwriters have said, 
music is their church and it's true. So that really is what it means to me. You can make it your own and you can, it always stays with you. You're never going to lose music. Um, So, I mean, I'm not spiritual in the conventional way, but I am in the way of connecting with people through, I mean, I feel like music is the most universal language we have and you don't have to speak English or any other language to understand the emotion in a song. So it's true. um, Yeah. You are connected to something there for sure. You're so are you in San Francisco area? Is that where you grew up? I am. Yeah. East Bay. What's the, what's the music scene like there? So it's definitely pretty hip hop rap R and B over here. So honestly, I did, I've never been super into that world. Um, I totally respect it and I think it's amazing, but I've always been more of the emotional kind of indie folk um, pop music listener. Um, But yeah, it's definitely a big pool of genres over here and there's so much musical influence. It's pretty inspiring no matter what genre you're in just to watch others um, go for their passions. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because, you know, you can have an, you can have a musical influence, which we've talked about, like you talked about Noah Cyrus and, and other people. And then there's also guilty pleasure music. What's your guilty yeah. pleasure music? Are you a K-pop fan? Like, what would people be surprised <laughs> to know that you actually listen to? Um, honestly, it's mostly 70s and 80s rock, like hard rock. Yeah. And um, country. I love country, honestly, for the songwriting. I mean, country songs, it's, you either love them or you hate them, but they tell darn good stories and you can't help but, you know, fall in love with the lyrics sometime of a cheesy country song. So, um, are you, are yeah, you a Taylor Swift def- fan? Oh my gosh. I, I have such respect for Taylor Swift, honestly, for her career and how hard she's worked and, you know, she's done it she's had a huge team around her, but she's done a lot of it herself. So um, I totally respect her. She's probably one of the, one of the last professional musicians that's kind of done what you're doing. You don't hear a lot about, you know, the 17, 18 year old who's making music. Like she might be one of the last ones we've heard like that. Yeah. I mean, she started out so young and, she writes all her own music or she has a hand on writing her music. Um, so that really is super inspiring to me and just how down to earth she is and real with her listeners. It's, it's pretty amazing. So. Do you have a Taylor Swift time frame that you like for her? Some people like her, you know, her kind of preteen world, high school, country music and some people kind of like when she started to move into being a young adult and it was still country and then some people really just like her as pop and now she's kind of even developing a third fan base with her latest work is there a time frame you like particularly from her oh gosh um honestly i i loved her when she was 16 17 18 years old yeah um i also really liked seeing her get into her edgy like 
breakout phase where she was just, you know, writing these hits of, you know, breakup songs, but they had some power to them. They weren't just her with her guitar crying, which, I mean, <laughs> I loved them, but they were like, hey, look at me. I'm, I'm powerful and I'm here. So I was, I was super, you know, in love with that. Um, yeah. I think all her phases are, are great. I mean, that's life. We go through phases and she's really embraced them all. So sure. I think it's great. So when I, was, when I was your age, I was a huge fan of Debbie Gibson. Here I'll probably nice. lose like one third of my audience now. No. <laughs> but I was like a huge, a huge Debbie Gibson fan. And uh, what I admired about it was she was my age and mm -hmm. she was 16, you know, 16, 17, she got started. And uh, she was, she actually, a lot of people don't realize this, but she actually was the youngest artist to write produce and sing a number one hit beating michael jackson's previous record wow she was and I, i'm not sure i think that that record is broken now but it took a really long time like nearly 30 years for someone to do that so by the time she was 18 she had uh she had like broken this amazing um record which was really cool and it was like the third or fourth single off her kind of her breakthrough album but i had been i had seen her before she ever had an album out, when she was just kind of touring teen clubs and had like one single out. Yeah. And I just, I admired that there was like, because all the musicians in the eighties were like significantly older than me, you know? And mm -hmm. it was like what you expected, you know, artists in their late twenties had paid their dues and you know, here they are. Like even like U2 and Duran Duran and bands like this, they were doing stuff in the, in the late seventies before they ever got into the scene that worked for them. Yeah. And uh, so many of them had, you know, at least one, if not two albums out before they were getting recognized in uh, pop music. And, you know, here Debbie comes out of New York and she's got this, you know, the single with a lot of catchy hook. And, and it was interesting because the record label, Atlantic Records, that was around at the time, actually made her up to look like an adult on her 45 cover because they didn't want, they didn't think anyone would buy music from a 16 year old. Yeah. So they actually made her look like she was in her 20s, which she hated. And then when her album finally came out, you know, she played up on that she was young and that young people could actually be creative and actually do things. So it was yeah. really interesting, really inspiring to watch that. And that's what I like about you is like you are proof that, you know, a young person can actually start to build a career for themselves. It's weird because when I talk to you, like I see a picture of you, you look like you're 15 years old, <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but you, but you, you're right. Like you are like an old soul because you talk like an adult, like you don't talk like an average 18 year old girl. And it's really Thank interesting you. because there's something really deep inside you, you know, um, do you get a lot of resistance from people when you tell everyone, you know, I'm going to put out an album, I'm going to sing and I'm going to, you know, do this, that people are like, you should go to college, you should get a job. Totally. I mean, that's kind of been my whole high school career. I mean, I've known what I wanted to do for such a long time. And I don't think I really took it seriously for myself until probably sophomore year of high school. Um, at that point, you know, I was making music. I was putting up little covers on my Instagram. And, you know, people knew me as the girl who sang, but I don't think anyone really believed that I was going to do anything with it. Um, and of course my parents were supportive, but 
I don't think they really thought that I had the drive to make it happen. And, you know, I mean, people say all the time, you know, you're doing a hobby. What's your career going to be? I'm like, no, the people who make their passions, their career are the ones who are successful. That's their vision. You know, you're never going to reach your idea of success for yourself if you're not doing what you love. So um, I really started to take it seriously and a light kind of switched on in my head um, midway through high school. I'm like, what am I doing? I mean, I am 16 years old, but I have a dream. I know what I want to do. I'm just wasting time at this point. Um, I, I mean, I, it's a big goal, but I want to have a Grammy when I'm 25, you know, I don't want to get yeah. started when I'm that age. So um, yeah, I mean, my high school career was a little different. I left my public school sophomore, no, uh, junior year, the beginning of junior year, and I did independent study, which was the best choice I've ever made. And I really just focused on writing and uh, recording. I flew out to Nashville a couple times and did some demos, and it was the most amazing experience. I mean, those session musicians in Nashville, let me tell you, I mean, they could be just playing random chords, but it sounds like butter. I mean, it's insane how talented they are. And um, I think it's it's music. It's music city for a reason. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's the most amazing place, honestly. So um, I I definitely have gotten resistance about this choice of a path for myself, but I mean, just want to prove I mean, everyone wrong. <laughs> I love I love to go to Nashville. I'll actually be in Nashville next next weekend. And, oh, amazing! Uh, I love to go there. And what people don't realize is that um, there's actually a lot of celebrities that live in Nashville. There's all kinds. It's not just country music that's there. There's no. you know hip hop artists are recording there. Rock and roll artists are recording there. Blues musicians record there. It's it's really the center of a lot of stuff. And there's incredible studios, really yes. incredible studios. And um, and that's what's uh, that's what's kind of cool about it. I visited a, a recording studio in Atlanta, which is really um, really cool, really popular. They they made it like it's an entirely green building, so it's all like self sufficient and geothermal, and like it basically oh uses like no power. But the the claim to fame, why people go to this to this particular um, studio in Atlanta, is because they actually have the mixing board that mix down the Police Synchronicity album. Somehow these people acquired that and something there was, it was like that machine was made on hump day or something, you know, with whoever made it because it's just, it's, it's amazing. And like whatever people are putting through that mixing console, it just comes out magic on the other end. And it's, it's weird that there's like in the music business, it's almost like, it's almost like, um, it's almost like a a particular guitar or a particular piece of electronics or a particular piano. It's like they're, it's like they've got a blessing from angels or something. And that's why like really good guitarists will exchange guitars with each other to record albums because it'll be like, you know, Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits has this awesome, you know, Dobro and someone's like, you've got like the greatest Dobro ever made. Can I borrow that and record on my own? And they, <laughs> and they all loan out these like top tier guitars because there was just something about them. Like there could have been three made in a row, but one of them will be ideal, you know? Yeah. And of course, also when you get into like the organics of an instrument, the wood in a guitar is really important. And even though you might manufacture three or four less poles in a row and they all have, 
you know, the exact same components inside them, one will still sound better than another, you know? And it's really, it's really interesting and really good musicians know that stuff. Like, like I mentioned Debbie Gibson earlier, she actually owns one of Liberace's pianos because Liberace, as flamboyant (laughs) as he is, he had great pianos, you know? Yeah. So she has amazing. So like people will want to find these things and seek out and get them because, you know, a certain instrument on a certain album, you remember as much as you remember the vocals or the lyrics, like, because I think fans, they like, you know, for me, I don't really listen to lyrics when I listen to songs. I will read them like in the old days when you had an album or you had a CD, I would read the liner notes and I would right. read the read what the lyrics were, but I'm never listening to a song for the lyrics. I'm listening to it for the music. I just mm-hmm. want something that gets me going, you know? Totally. And that, but, but other people specifically tune in on the lyrics. And then I'll know people who will be like, God, that's like the greatest baseline. And I'm like, what? Like, I don't even hear the baseline <laughs> yeah. most of the time, you know? And they're like, yeah, listen to that. And then I'll listen and I'll be like, you know, oh yeah, yeah, I hear that now. But it's nothing I would have ever clued in on. And I, I find it really fascinating how people, how they listen, you know? It, it's so interesting how people pick up on different things. I mean, recording right now, my producer, he, he's a drummer and he'll only pick up on the drums sometimes. I'm like, Troy, like, did you hear this? And he's like, no, but the snare has to come down and I'm like I didn't even hear that like I have no idea so it's yeah it's super interesting what people I'm a big fan of the, here yeah I'm a big fan of the band Def Leppard yeah and and if you know anything about the history of Def Leppard you know that their drummer had a car crash and he lost his arm and he's mm-hmm. the famous one-armed drummer you know right so between their Pyromania album and their Hysteria album they took a break to let him heal up and they were waiting to see if he would be able to play or they would need to replace him. And while he was in the hospital, he had this idea of building a drum kit where he could operate, he could operate what his right arm was doing or his left arm, which I can't remember which one was cut off, but where he could operate the arm that was missing with his other foot. So he could use wow. foot pedals to basically play the drums. So when the Hysteria album comes out, I just, for years, it, I kept wondering, there's just something about this. The band doesn't sound the same for some reason. I don't know why. And then it occurred to me, there were no drum rolls in Hysteria because <laughs> it was the one thing he couldn't do. So where you could hear, like it sounded, the music sounded different in Pyromania because he could still put in a drum roll here and there. Right. But he couldn't do it with a foot pedal in his one arm. So you don't hear that. So there's always a great tempo and a great beat. And he's a great drummer. But there was that one little element missing that I could not pick up on for the longest time. It was the smallest detail. But that was what it was. It was oh really interesting. Gosh. And That's the music, very interesting. And the music sort of shifted a little bit just because of that, you know? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Shift, That's shifted crazy... for the better because they became bigger than ever after that album, you know? So right. Something, something worked, but it was, it's always uh, really interesting to kind of tune in on, uh, on the music and everything that goes, um, a real masterpiece is going to have all those elements. Totally. Totally. Well, let's talk about, so this year has been like a really weird year. And I know you said you were in Nashville and I saw on your website that your last live appearance was in Nashville. Yeah. So the world has shut down. We can't go listen to music. We can't, no one can play live. Like we don't even know any of this is going to reopen or start again. But 
when the world was open, did you play live often? Honestly, no. So I had a real problem with either being let into venues because I was underage. Um, places around me wouldn't let me sing because, you know, I wasn't 18 and it was a bar scene, which was hard. Um, and I had a hard time finding musicians that actually wanted to back me up because I was so young and they didn't really take it seriously, which of course hurt, but I didn't really get the opportunity to play out a lot. Um, and now that, you know, I'm of age, I guess, everything's shut down. So it's hard to, you know, figure out how to gain that same connection with people now that we're doing it online. And um, it's just not the same. So, I mean, I cannot wait for the day that we all get out and this thing goes away. <laughs> I know that's yeah. probably not going to happen for a while, but um, in the well, meantime, I'm just... Just think of it this way. By the time you are allowed to play music out again, you'll be 21 and can order a beer. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I'll never be that girl who puts a beer on the piano, but, you know, I'll, after, sure. <laughs> oh, man. Um, do, do you enjoy playing live? Do you, do you get stage fright? Is it like, is it, what's it like for you to play live? So, again, I haven't done it too much, but when I do, it's the scariest feeling but it's the most amazing um the hard part is not everyone's always listening to you and a lot of the time at least for me i've been singing to crowds that are pretty intimate but no one's really looking um or they're having side conversations which is hard because you're like hey like i have this really cool song do you guys want to listen because i want to share it with you um so that's not always the case. Um, but I mean, it's good. Every, every show is a good practice and a good way to just get rid of nerves and stage fright's always going to be a thing, I think. But um, I mean, just it's, I mean, it's the perfect place to showcase your art. So gotta, gotta learn to love it. <laughs> yeah. What do you think the future of live music is? Do you, do you suspect everything will be shut down into next year? I mean, I can't even, I look at back at videos of, you know, big shows and big concerts and all these people crammed in a space. It's almost unfathomable to think that that could happen again. I know. I mean, it's so hard to tell this year has been so unpredictable. I, I mean, I thought we would be easing out of this in April, but <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that wasn't how it went. So, I mean, I definitely think that shows are going to come back, but not at the scale that they were. Um, it'll probably be a lot of more intimate shows and just, you know, artists trying to get back on the road any way they can. Um, I know a lot of people are taking advantage of online shows, which honestly, it's not the same because you can just queue up YouTube and watch your favorite artist for free. But um, yeah, honestly, I, I don't know. I, I wish I knew how to answer that. I hope they yeah. come back. But. There was a, you know, this podcast may not come out for a couple of weeks, but at pretty much at the time we're recording this, one of the big um, kind of union associations that a lot of the music venues from city to city are part of made a statement that said that 
you know, it's pretty much inevitable that mid-size and small concert venues will probably close up for good. Mm-hmm. And they said that this is, um, this is one of those things where those were the first venues to close down earlier in the year, and they'll be the last ones to open back up. And, um, and that, that because of that, because of that lapse in time, a lot of these venues won't be able to survive. So the ones that will survive will be the giant Mercedes-Benz arenas, you know, in Atlanta, oh. and like all the, the major places, because a lot of these places are actually subsidized by the state government or by bonds and things mm-hmm. like that. So, and it, because, so they can even afford to lose some sponsors and still be able to survive. So what's going to really hurt, I think, the music industry is going to be these mid-size and small venues just closing their doors permanently. And um, the economy has suffered just like so, so badly that, you know, a lot of these places aren't going to be able to make it, which is unfortunate. That that breaks my heart because I mean, I've had the best, I've seen the best shows my life and had the best experiences being in, you know, those small intimate venues when you really get to see the artists and connect with them and they see you. And I mean, that, that experience just doesn't happen in a huge arena. So, I mean, gosh, I, I hope they come back in the near future, but it's so sad that this is how. I agree with what you're saying too, because like I saw, like um, I saw Tom Petty in like a mid-sized venue, which was like incredible to really enjoy his, his style of rock concert. I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much in an enormous arena, but Mm -hmm. I do like watching Def Leppard in an enormous arena, you know, I don't don't need to have because (laughs) it's all so big, you know, it's, it's just made for that feel, you know, like, like I can't imagine seeing Metallica in a small venue. (laughs) It would just be too weird. Yes. That would be really weird. You'd be like, you guys are blowing my ears out. (laughs) I know it would be like, this doesn't seem right for some reason, you know, it's like, yeah. um, But I did see you too in a large arena um, a couple of years ago. And it was fun. Although I was down in the pit, like I was right next to the stage. Like I could see everyone's faces, you know, Bono's like four feet from me, but it was really, but their show was built in a way in which it, it could cater to a big arena, but it also made everything feel small and intimate because their video display was so impressive. And it just wow. really made everything feel smaller because of how the video display was. And it was really well done how they did it you still felt like you were near them, even if you were far away. That's and, amazing. Uh, and their stage, the way it was and how they could walk across the floor and there would be another mini stage and they would, you know, they gave everyone an opportunity to really be close to them, which was neat. I wish I would have seen you two early on when I was younger in their prime because Bono's voice is kind of blown out a little bit now and his voice was just so perfect and pure and, and, uh, it would have been nice to kind of see them their prime, but it was still great to see them perform. I mean, they're one of the biggest bands in the world still. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've, this has been a pleasure. I could talk about music all day long. Music's one of my first loves. Oh, me I just, too. I never really got to pursue it like I wanted to, you know? Totally. So I still dabble with things on occasion, but it's always inspiring to me to have a good musician to talk to. And I was so, so happy that you, you're actually the first musician that I've brought onto my podcast. So really? Um, oh my yeah. gosh. Thank you so much. I, I've had my eye on a lot of people, but I was like, man, I'm going to go ahead and just reach her and see if she'll talk to me because something just really incredible about, about your music and your talent. And 
and you. So thank you. I mean, I'll talk music with you any day, any time. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Where, where can people find you out there on the interwebs right now? Where, oh, do you have a .com? You're on social media. I know that. I do. So I'm natalydeanofficial.com. And then my main social media right now is Instagram, which is underscore Natalie Dean. And then for music, I mean, just anywhere you can stream music, it's just Natalie Dean. So yeah, yeah I mean, I'd love to connect with anyone who's listening and share music and talk you're anything. On, <laughs> you're on uh, you're on YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and all that too, right? Yes. Yeah, you're on all the you're pretty much on everything. Totally. And is your is your music is your music on Spotify? It is, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. This is my podcast comes out on Spotify and Spotify produces the the episodes. Uh, so it's uh, always good when your music is on Spotify. <laughs> awesome. I might Very actually cool. be able to play a clip of, of it in the show because your music's on Spotify. They're like real oh touchy my. about if I include music in the show, if it's only on Apple. <laughs> sometimes, oh gosh, they get Sometimes they, get they won't, <laughs> they won't let it, you let it, you know, but, uh, but anyways, it's been a pleasure talking to you and definitely with the next single, come back and let's talk again. I'd love to. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. All right. Thanks for coming out today, Natalie. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. Bye-bye. There you have it. My interview with Natalie Dean. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you next week on Quest. Thank you for listening to Quest. Please be sure and rate and review this podcast. This podcast is copyright. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Be sure to visit the official website for the International Association of Metatomics at metatomics.org or find us on social media for other unique content. And make sure to pick up a copy of the book that started a spiritual revolution, Metatomics, The Grand Design, available for sale online and at most major bookstores. Thanks for listening.